0: Welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, actors on non-union projects for the time being, um, cinematographers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, composers, authors, you name it we talked to them and boy we're going to do some talking today um first i i would be remiss not to mention Bar- barbenheimer this weekend new figures came out for Greta Gerwig's barbie um they thought it was 133 million for the for the weekend then it was 155 new numbers came out this morning 162 million domestic only uh, Oppenheimer I think right now is sitting at 85 million for the weekend this is the biggest movie weekend box office in movie history a shocker um, so and I have I have not seen either film because Warner Brothers uh, doesn't invite me to anything therefore I don't cover their films um, because I can do that. Uh, so, but as many of our regular listeners, you know, Greta has been live on the show before, uh, talking about her, one of her prior nominated films. Uh, and I am going to try and uh, get hold of Greta's people and see if I can get Greta back on the show to talk about her, her phenomena with Barbie. Uh, and if that happens, yes, I will actually pay money and go see the film. Um, But every time I see the promos for Barbie, I have to say, my mind goes back to uh, Funny Face, Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn, and the Think Pink musical number in it. So, all the classic film fans, I'm sure some of you are thinking the same thing. But it's very fitting that our first guest today is a female filmmaker, a female-centric film, in front of and behind the camera, Uh, coming in off the, uh, the strong suit of Greta's performance with Barbie. Sophia Castora is going to join us in one second. She's on hold right now. And then later in the show, we've got Gary Matoso and Cameron Zuhori. Hope I said that right. If not, Cameron can correct me later. Odd Hours, No Pay, Cool Hat, a documentary on volunteer firefighters in the United States. It is fascinating. But first, since she's already on the line, let me go ahead And say a big welcome to Sophia Castora. Hi, Sophia.
1: Hi, Debbie. How are you?
0: I am fine. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. Trying to survive this hot summer we've got
0: going on in New York. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You've got storms, rain, excessive (laughs) humidity. uh, and I I didn't (laughs) didn't realize I live in the rainforest now. You know, I'm from Philly. I never thought of it as the rainforest. However... (laughs) There is definitely global warming or something happening because the eastern, the east coast, Philadelphia, South Jersey, New York, it's turning into a rainforest.
1: Totally. And all the flooding, it's just, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. But, you know, just trying to survive a day at a time.
0: And that's, that's about all we can do. And yeah. I was, you know, at the top of the show, I was just telling the listeners that. This is like a fortuitous day for you to be on the show after this bombastic Barbenheimer weekend. Uh oh, yeah. and And Greta Gerwig's huge success with Barbie. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Just, I mean, and you can't get more girl power than Barbie. <laughs> um, I'm sure Mattel's stock is probably rising today, too. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> but here we are with you and August at 22, your first, your directorial debut narrative feature, female-centric in front of the camera, behind the camera, female mm-hmm. writer, uh, your two main stars, females, your cinematographer, female. I mean, you directing. This yeah. is, it's like the, the extended weekend of The Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
1: that's so awesome. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I mean, I have read a lot about how they grossed, what, like $155 million for the opening day? Oh, no, they had oh.
0: new numbers today. New numbers for the weekend came out this morning. I heard them as I was driving into the studio. Uh, we're sitting at $162 million for the weekend.
1: Oh, wow, that's amazing.
0: That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, this, is the, it's, this is the biggest box office weekend in the history of movies.
1: That's so great. Oh, I'm so happy. And Greta Gerwig is such a hero of mine. Oh. Um, like both as an actor and as a director and a writer and it's just kind of like I don't know, of all the, of all the names to be seeing, I'm glad it's Greta Gerwig. She's such a
0: such a legend. I know. I know. I mean, and to think I knew Greta before she was so famous. Oh, uh, really? But uh and Greta's been on the show before. Um, oh, cool. yeah, she was on the show for, I, she, I had her for a full hour one, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, wow. talking filmmaking and, uh, it's fantastic. And that's one of the things about August at 22, because as I was watching the film, I was very much, I got this great mumble core feel that. Uh, you know, Mark and Jay Duplass started, Greta came in with her first films that were cons- with that mumblecore idea. And I felt that and saw that with August at 22.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you. That's exactly what who we were inspired by. So thank you for, for noticing that. I mean, it, they're huge heroes of ours. And, um, you know, Ali Edwards, our writer and star, she definitely was extremely inspired by, especially the Duplass brothers, um, and Greta Gerwig uh, in her writing process. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, that was what we set out to do as a team. You know, me, Allie, Mary Elizabeth, that was what we wanted, was this, like, naturalistic, you know, mumblecore-esque,
0: but in, you know, the 2020s. So thank you for noticing that. Well, you definitely achieved it. Because as yeah. I'm watching, and that was one of the first notes that I made on the film as I'm watching the film. Very, <laughs> du- very Duplass Brothers and Greta Mumblecore in design and style. Um, yep. that was, <laughs> and you know, how did you, I love the whole idea of this. We've got, uh, Allie stars as Cal and you know, here she is. She's out of school. She's a wannabe actress. She's floundering in her career. Um, and she's totally confused as most 22 year olds as soon as when they get out of school, you don't really have a job. You can't make ends meet. You want to be on your own. You want to be a grown up but you still have childhood jealousies and jealous streaks. You screw over your BFF, knowing full well eventually if they're your BFF, they're going to come back to you and help you out of whatever mess you get yourself in. (laughs) Um, You get lectured by your father, and then at the next minute say, Dad, can I have $20? Um, so (laughs) So with this script, Allie perfectly captured what I think every single one of us have gone through at about that age oh my god yeah she she's
1: brilliant i mean yeah that that twenty dollar line is is so funny it's and i remember i i know the producer when she read the script that was like she laughed out loud at that part and it's funny because it's so realistic i yeah. We like definitely have been like you know one moment yelling at our parents for whatever advice they're giving us and then you know oh can i have twenty dollars i can do
0: groceries <laughs> Yeah. After getting lectured because you don't have a job, you're not working. Yeah, I do have a job. I am working, but we never see her work. And she Mm. even and her BFF, Bobby, calls her out on that. You're out partying and drinking and you blew your audition this morning because you didn't focus on it. So and that's a good friend. Oh, yeah. You might not think so at 22, but that really is a good friend. Uh, who does that and so you have these fantastic touchstones here um, that are built in and you know Allie writing the script is intimately familiar with the character with Cal mm-hmm. but then it, it falls into your hands to bring this to life visually so I'm curious about your approach to this being your first feature What how did you go about sitting down and figuring out how you were your visual vision for August at 22?
1: So um, I started storyboarding pretty early on in my um, my filmmaking career, I guess, like when I was going to film school, I, you know, I I began storyboarding um, because it was helpful for me to see it laid out like that. Um, you know, I had these ideas in my head, but you really don't know what they're going to look like until you, you know, see them in the real world in some capacity. And I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I heard from like the greats that storyboarding was a very important part of that. And so, um, that's the first thing I did with this movie was I got the script. Um, Ali asked me to direct it and I approached it from two different ways with like, with the visual way with the storyboard, but also I'm an actor. So, uh, I would go through and, like, think about the objectives for each character and think about blocking in a way that would um, be visually interesting but also thematically uh, aligned with the story. And um, then I would talk with my director of photography, Melina Valdez, and we would do our shot list um, based on the storyboard. And that's what we did. That's how we did it.
0: Wow. So you went in, and this this impresses me, Sophia, Because there are so many first time feature filmmakers or short film film, short film filmmakers, and they don't plan out. You sat down and planned out. Some people just think they can pick up a camera or tell their DP, you know, okay, just point it over here, shoot. Um, But you plan this out very thoroughly with storyboard. Because a film like this, when you get a couple more under your belt, I don't think you're going to storyboard. You might storyboard a couple scenes, but a narrative like this, I don't see you as you get more confident storyboarding and shot listing the entire film. Hmm. If you go in if you move into action, definitely I think you'll be storyboarding up the wazoo. But <laughs> <laughs> I think for a narrative like this, I think when because this is a very straightforward narrative, But for some scenes where you really do want to get a good visual sense of what you need to capture, Um, such as the gallery, the party, moving in and out of rooms. Um, So that was very smart of you, very smart of you, uh, taking that approach in production. But now, did you know, as you're storyboarding and shot listing, did you have your locations already? We
1: had some of them. Um, it, that's actually funny because um, <laughs> our first day of set, we um, we had an apartment, a friend's apartment, um, that they very you know generously offered for us to use, and it was going to be Cal's bedroom. And we it was going so smoothly that day, and then <laughs> I see Mary Elizabeth. I'm like you know standing at the monitor. I see Mary Elizabeth, our producer, making a beeline straight at me, and she was like, "We have to leave." And I was like, haha, that's funny. I thought she was making a joke. Um, and she's like, no, 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 we were getting kicked out by the by the super. And so we lost our location.
2: Oh.
0: Um,
1: so all of the things that I had storyboarded for that specific location had to go out the window. And we all sat on the stoop outside of this apartment and, you know, tried to <laughs> brainstorm some sort of solution because not only did we lose the location, but we lost everything we shot then. And... Um, but we eventually end, just ended up using Allie's apartment at the time. So, you know, some of the locations I did know and got to pre-plan a lot of it, but then there's stuff like that that happens on <laughs> set, and you really just have to, like,
0: <laughs> pivot at that point. So how much time did you lose? Because especially with low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget films, time is a precious commodity. You, oh, yeah. don't, you don't have a lot of time, and you don't have a lot of money, and when you lose time... That costs you money. Yes, that you don't have to start with.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, we lost a day. We lost a full day, but um, it was a 17-day shoot. It was a whirlwind, and honestly, we made up for it with. I think we just our you know our first ad moved some stuff around, and we it was totally fine. It was crazy because it was like the worst case scenario was losing our first location on the first day of shooting. And then the rest of the shoot was so easy. It was so easy. It was so smooth. And that was such a big part of having just the incredible crew that we had Our It's the best set that I have ever been on. And it was all female, mostly queer. It was just like so safe, so supportive. It was a lot of our first time making a feature and it could not have gotten better. And I, like, truly could not have done the job that I did without my crew. And, like, I'll never, I'll never forget them.
0: Well, one thing I think has been proven time again and time again is that women filmmakers and female crew, women know how to get stuff done. <laughs> yes. Be it in the world, be it on set. Women know how to get it done without a lot of angst.
1: We sure do. You know. <laughs>
0: You lost one day. Your location got screwed up. Okay, you pivot, and you pivoted yep. quickly.
1: You yeah, know? I mean we had to. You
0: know, that's that's very key. Now I'm really curious because it looks like a lot of this was handheld. Was this was Malena running handheld with this one? Yes, a lot of. I mean, there were a few shots on um, six, but yeah. it was
1: mostly handheld, um, like shoulder rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we had. It was so long ago. Um, it's funny. I have my shot list somewhere, and we
0: have all the notes written, so that's somewhere. <laughs> but, yeah, mostly handheld. That's that's what I thought, especially for some You know, some of the scenes, uh, particularly between Cal and Emily. And I have to say, Lily Kay, she is really – she was striking. What oh, yeah. she brought to the character of Emily, I really like that confidence that she brought – which was a perfect counter to Cal's total confusion and insecurity and wanting to be a big girl and put her big girl panties on, but just doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that yin and yang that we get with those two characters. Lily really was terrific. Absolutely terrific.
1: She's incredible. I, I loved working with her. Um, she just was so grounded and did cool. her work, did her homework and came to set and was just always so prepared made my job so, so easy. Um, and, you know, watching watching Ali and Lily work together was really fascinating as a director and playing with that dynamic that you're talking about mm-hmm. was so interesting, especially in... Um, you know, like the earlier scenes where it's just the two of them hanging out for the first time, you really kind of feel, well, I mean, I felt in watching their performances and and directing them, this sort of, like, cat and mouse game where, like, Cal is just trying to win Emily over. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really isn't until, you know, the fun, frenetic energy of, you know, when they're running around in the East Village that it just kind of naturally, they just naturally fall into their this interesting dynamic that, you know, where it's a little bit unclear if it's perhaps romantic and, you know, no spoilers,
0: but you see what happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, And you, that ambiguity stays with us through the whole movie, Mm -hmm. through the entire movie. So that is no spoiler. There is ambiguity um, as to whether we get a romantic relationship or not, because of course, what I love, uh, and this is kudos also to Allie and how she wrote this and structured this script, is that the whole thing with Cal and Emily becoming friends, Cal kind of pushes it. And it's out of jealousy because you can see, and this is, I mean, Molina had some great shots at mm-hmm. the initial party uh, at Jacob. Her childhood BFF, obviously her lifelong crush, uh, mm-hmm. and she finds out he's got a girlfriend, and the girlfriend is Emily, and oh my God, it's not Cal. Yeah. Um, so the world is going to come to an end. So what do you do? You sidle up to the enemy and try, yep. <laughs> and, try and drive a wedge, <laughs> <laughs> thinking she's going to get him back. Uh, yeah. I mean, this plays out. You see what she's doing, you see what's happening and you see that Emily's not b- taking the bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also see that, that Jacob is clueless. He's oblivious. Oh,
2: completely. Yeah. Completely.
0: <laughs> and that's a testament to your casting of clay singer. And he, oh, he's so great. I, he's so lovely. I, and he was a fun, clueless guy, <laughs> but you knock it out of the park. With your casting of Bobby. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Jorge Felipe Guevara. I mean, the best. he is. That's who everybody should have as a BFF. He, I know. He's so I know. They, they're charming. The best. They're, they,
1: we met actually in acting school in this intensive together. And when I walked into the room, I just beelined it to them. They were sitting in the second row on the right side, and they just had this energy that was like, I need to be your friend. I need to talk to you about everything. And, um, you know, when we were casting this movie, Jorge was like the first person that I thought of to read for Bobby. Um, And it was just perfect, you know, when they read with Ali.
0: The chemistry between Jorge and Ali is Wonderful. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all those moments of eating the same thing, knowing what the other one wants, um, calling, you know, Bobby calling Cal out for her crap. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to say, the heartbreaking, the heartbreaking scene is the photographic exhibition that Emily has. That rips your heart out. You went for the jugular there, Sophia.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I um I loved that scene. <laughs> I like I knew exactly what I wanted to do with like, you know when that shot where Bobby's running to the bathroom because Cal's just told him to change. Yeah. He's um, inappropriately he's, dressed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see the backpack and the sunflower that he bought for her and I just You know, we had to get that on the camera because, you know, you never get to see the moment of Bobby celebrating Cal and giving the flower to her. You just see it, you know, sadly moving in the backpack as he's running to the bathroom. Yeah, I (laughs) just,
0: (laughs) and then the aftermath of the bathroom. Yeah. And that just ripped my heart out. I mean. Yeah. You hit all the emotional beats in this film, Sophia. Oh, thank you. And I really love that. Anytime I'm looking at a, at a feature directorial debut from someone, I you know, I always wonder, are they going to hit the beats? Um, how's the editing going to be? How's the pace going to be? And you really hit everything that you needed to with this film. And the fact that it is a mumblecore styling um, that plays to your advantage. Because Mm -hmm. it's so natural and you're not as locked in to cinematic requirements, so to speak. Yeah. So I think, and that with this kind of film, it worked to your advantage greatly, which I'm curious, how much freedom did that give you in the editing phase and working with Amir? Oh, my
1: gosh well, what do you what do you mean freedom? I'm curious what you mean by that. because um, honestly, from our perspective, like it was Amir at one point in the editing process, like Amir did his version of the edit because it was originally some of the scenes were in a different order, actually, like mm-hmm. written. and you know, we shot it in that order. And then at some point, we all went, all three of us, Ali, Mary Elizabeth, and I went, okay, Amir, like we're curious. like, how do you see this movie? And we'll watch that edit. And he came out with what is currently the film. Wow. And we just had to put a lot of trust into him because he also just got what we were going for. Um, when we sat down to talk to him about editing, um, and you know, it it was just, it was perfect. And I mean, that was kind of scary to give up that kind of control. <laughs> that's, that's, over the and see, that's
0: what I mean by freedom. How much freedom do you have? Or were you so locked into the script that it's, no, I got to adhere to this. I got to adhere to this. But no, you put your faith and your trust in Amir. Oh, yeah. And we're beyond surprised.
1: Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And um, I mean, it, at first, we were a bit like, you know, st- I would say, me especially I was quite stubborn <laughs> at the beginning because I storyboarded everything and I was like well but that's not how I storyboarded it <laughs> but at some point I was like okay you know what put the ego to the side like trust your crew like trust every part of this process and you know a lot of that was just again like having Allie and Mary Elizabeth on my side to also make a scary decision like that because this was our baby and then we sent this baby to you know, a mirror. And now it's all of our babies. Um, and yeah, it was just, I mean, that's a huge thing that in my next like my next film, I'm, I'm going to be having a lot of trust in people. And because of this process, it's
0: mm-hmm. just perfect. Now you said something very key. Um, you shot this in chronological order.
1: No, we, no. We shot okay. It, yeah. Yeah. We shot it not in chronological order.
0: Because yeah, with with Amir moving things around um, from how you had originally storyboarded it, um, all right, so yeah, I was going to say, oh, please tell me you did not shoot it in chronological order. No,
1: no, no. no, <laughs> no our aD was super smart and knew, knew exactly how to schedule this. That would have been that would have been so wild. Yeah,
0: now, was it a surprise to you when Amir came back with what is essentially the final version now? I mean, this is a tight you know, 82, 84 minutes. Yeah. You don't waste any time. You don't, there's no awkward silences that aren't, that beyond what is supposed to be awkward. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, that I find absolutely amazing that you came in so tight on this, especially with this kind of film, because when you've got people talking and going back and forth, and it's very much, you know, the mumblecore day in the life blah, 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 blah. We're going on events, you know, we're idiots. You're clueless. Yeah. You know, the, the whole thing Mm -hmm. quite often you run into the problem of, okay, where do we cut? What do we cut out? We could just let this roll, keep rolling. Um, but you didn't have that problem. Oh, thanks. Yeah.
1: I, I really do think like a big part of that was a mirror Um, I also just think that that's also something strong about Ali's script. And, you know, we, we did do some improv in and out of scenes, kind of like the way that, you know, some of the filmmakers from the mumblecore movement do. Mm -hmm. Um, so unfortunately we lost a lot of really funny improv moments (laughs) in, on the cutting room floor, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was at the, you know, you know, kill your darlings to make the best thing, you know, to make Mm -hmm. the best art that you can, you know, like we're sitting in the editing room laughing at this, but like it's wasting time narratively and, and, you know, making that decision is difficult, but you know, having, having a mirror and having such a strong core team was just really important to like making those difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I kind of wish that there were some, like, I wish we had like a, not a blooper reel, but, like, a, a reel with, like, all of the lost improv moments.
0: You could still put one together. There is always Maybe. DVD. I mean, because now this comes out tomorrow. I know. I can't believe it. On digital and VOD, this is out tomorrow so everyone can see it. Um, this has to be big for you to have your very first film already already hitting VOD and digital.
1: It's. I can't even... Believe it. I don't think I'll actually believe it until tomorrow. <laughs>
0: when but when you start it's, it's flipping so on you know cable channels and digitally and ooh it's here ooh it's here ooh it's here. Yeah, you're gonna have a clicker in your hand. You'll be streaming all day.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I'm 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 very excited and and I'm just so grateful to like I mean it's been on pre-sale for a bit and and I have some friends and family that I've already bought it. And I'm just so grateful to like all the support that's been coming from my community. And I just hope that I want to, I want this to get the widest possible audience because like I said, like this was a full female set and it's, such, it's a female centric story and it's a queer story. And this is the kind of stuff that needs to be seen right now, especially on an independent level, with, you know, everything going on. Yeah. Um, and we're like such a small film and a new production company. And I just like really, really want
0: as many people as possible to see this. But I think what's very important, um, to the broader audience out there is that this is not offensive. You're not forcing anything down anybody's throats. This is just, you know, a few days in the life of Cal Mm -hmm. and how screwed up she is and how screwed up all of us have been at that same point in our lives. Yeah. Um, so, And I don't care if films are, if they're made by 80-year-old white men or 20-something, you know, queer community, anybody in LGBTQ, a good film is a good film. And it speaks to the broad audience. And that's exactly what you have here.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. It's such a personal story to Ali and, you know, something that deeply resonated with me personally. And I just believe so much in the power of. Small, intimate, personal stories to speak mm-hmm. to a wide audience. I think that's as an artist, that's something that I really, really do believe in. So
0: yeah. Thank you. I, I, I mean, you cover all the bases here. You know, I guarantee you that there are guys out there. They're going to see Jacob, the character of Jacob, and they're going to laugh, say, "That's not me." <laughs> yeah, dude, it is. <laughs> yeah. Trust us. It totally is. <laughs> it is. So now, is you're getting ready for this to be launched birthed tomorrow to the world as you look back on this experience what did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker that you can now take forward into your future projects
1: that is a great question i mean like i said your crew your team it's everything um that is something that i I'm always going to carry with me no matter what moving forward. But in terms of what I learned about myself, I mean, I just, I guess I'm proud of myself for like jumping into this, jumping into my first feature as a director and trusting myself somehow, because, you know, that's, that's something that I struggle with a lot personally. And, you know, I think I'm, I've written a feature that's in development and a a short film and I just find myself getting nervous about it. And I'm like, wait, I directed a feature. What am I nervous about? Like, I got this, you know? So just having that confidence and that trust in myself is something that I proved to myself over this process. Um, and also, like, projects take the time that they take. You can't push things. You can't rush things. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, this took, a, this took a while, mostly due to the pandemic, but... Um, but, you know, here we are now, and it's, it's coming out tomorrow, and it's here, and it's exactly where it should be, and I'm exactly where I should be.
0: Well, Sophia, I can't wait to see what you bring us next. Um, <laughs> whenever you have it, whenever you're shooting, please let me know, because I definitely want to follow your career trajectory, um, having seen what you've done here with Augusta 22. And a word to Greta Gerwig. She she better be looking over her shoulder because you're going to be coming up right behind her. <laughs> well, I
1: hope maybe that she and I can work on something together.
0: But uh, job well done, Sophia. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. your kind words. That's so kind. Yeah, well, Annie will tell you. If it sucked, I'd tell you that too. So <laughs> 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 I'm brutal. I'm brutally honest. <laughs> I love that. But no, job very well done. And I hope that you'll come back on the show again in the future.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I would love to. I'll be I'll be here soon. We'll see.
0: Yay! <laughs> well, you go have a wonderful opening day tomorrow, Sophia, and hopefully we'll chat sooner rather than later. I hope so. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really, really oh, appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Sophia. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. And that was Sophia Castora talking about August at 22, her feature directorial debut. It really is. It's a charming film. If you like the mumblecore style in in particular of the Duplass brothers, Greta Gerwig's early films, you will like this film. Uh, VOD and digital tomorrow. So um, do we just have one line? Oh, well, I can bring that live myself. Oh. Well, now it's about to get really hot because we're going to be talking fire, firefighters. And I am so excited to bring these directors on. Gary Cameron, are you there? Hi, Debbie. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We are here. Thank you. Oh, my God. Guys, I love this documentary.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: I, as I was telling my sound engineer, Pam, before we went on the air, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia in the 60s, 70s, and people don't think that a a suburb of Philly would not have a fire department. Well, we had a fire department, but it was a volunteer fire department. So I grew up knowing um, the importance of volunteer firefighting. And uh, you know we they would even send up the the air raid siren would go off whenever there was a call for the fire department. Plus, you know, you could see all the guys who, in the neighborhood who were firefighters would run out of their houses, heading to the station. Uh, there was always somebody there to man a call because these were the days long before nine one one. But you really learned as a child. You, I mean, it was like, ooh, that's Mister Gillespie. He's a fireman, and you you just respected them, and you knew that they were there to help you. Same thing with the ambulance drivers. Same thing in South Jersey where my grandparents lived. They didn't have a municipal fire department until into the 80s. There again, it was all volunteer, and in South Jersey, their home was in the, in the Pine Barrens, so it's all woods. And when that goes up in flames, that goes up in flames. So for me, having personally experienced volunteer firefighting brigades and in towns, this film really spoke to me, and I absolutely love it. That's, that's awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's a big point of the film. Actually, a lot of people don't know about you know how broad... Uh, you know, and, and, you know that the volunteer firefighting is across the country and, and you know, the critical role they play in, in communities, you know, large and small. I mean, a lot of people assume it's all small rural communities, but, I mean, especially on the East Coast, there's just a tradition of volunteer firefighting. Yeah. And um, really one of the main purposes of the film was to just, you know, just raise awareness. I mean, there's obviously a recruiting element as well, and we want to inspire people in the, you know, Calls are increasing and numbers are down in terms of the firefighters. But really, a big part of it was just letting people know that there are these people all across the country who yep. are, you know, putting so much time and, and you know, passion uh, into protecting their communities.
0: Yeah, I think even down in Georgia, where I have in a very small rural community where uh, one of my aunts lives, I think theirs is a volunteer fire department too. Um, I'm very curious how the two of you got involved. In making this documentary, this is not exactly the kind of subject that would come popping up over the breakfast table.
2: <laughs> no. Unless your house is on no, fire.
0: So how did you, the two of you get involved in this story?
2: Yeah, so this film actually started with uh, Peter Yochum, who's the executive producer on the project. And he had been looking for a story to tell that would be you know, unifying and uplifting at a pretty divisive time. He was looking for that type of story. And at the same time, learning about, you know, some of those stats that Gary was talking about, the fact that volunteer numbers were going down, calls were going up. He was having a lot of conversations with chiefs in, in his area of the country and just realized there was an opportunity to tell stories that were very compelling and entertaining, um, but also had this potential for impact. But he's actually the one who brought the story to us and started putting the pieces together for, you know, bringing us as a team on to, to make the film and talking to the National Volunteer Fire Council at a national level. They, you know, lobby and advocate for for volunteers, so working with them to understand the landscape across the country. So we knew nothing about it going into it. Um, you know, as, as connected as everyone is to volunteers, you know, we didn't have any personal experience with it or any close family involvement, So we had a lot to learn about that <laughs> that scope and variety and and range of things of what it means to be a a firefighter across the country. So we just kind of dove into it and started educating ourselves.
0: How Um, long was that education process before you even started shooting?
3: um, You know, we started with, you know, Cameron, one of our you know, main partners in the project was the National Volunteer Fire Council. So they were just a great starting point. And Peter had done work. Peter had done research, and, you know, he obviously, when we first talked about the project, you know, he was the first person to kind of introduce us to the topic and, uh, you know, which was, you know, we knew it was a – we didn't know anything about it, but we knew it was a, it was a good story to tell. Um, and then we spent time speaking to the, the National Volunteer Fire Council and, you know, kind of expanding our knowledge and understanding really kind of what the issues, the challenges they were facing and – and, and the role of, of the volunteer fire service across the country. Um, and then we put out a casting call uh, for stories. We started, you know, wanted to look at stories. And we initially thought we would do three stories uh, for the film. That was kind of our, start, our starting point. And we got flooded with submissions. We had, I think, like 800 submissions come in within a couple of weeks of just, just these passionate stories that people... Love of the fire service, the experience, how it's changed their lives, why they do it, and um, that was really kind of the eye-opening. You know, that was the light bulb went off on our heads. That's we started realizing the depth of the story, the scope of the story, how you know this is affecting communities, how it's affecting the people's you know personal lives, and um, and just all the just the diversity of the types of stories and things that these fire departments are doing in different communities, and so that really kind of set the tone and informed, you know, the the approach to the project.
0: How did you ultimately end up with the firefighting companies you have and then the individuals that you really showcase uh, with interviews and in the course and scope of their work?
2: Yeah, it was a long process, as Gary said. It was, you know, was a series of conversations basically starting with those just initial submissions that, that people had, had given us with just a, a line or two of their story. And then uh, Louise Colette, who's our casting director kind of led the charge on fielding those, you know, 800 submissions, looking through them and starting to have just, you know, zoom conversations. This was the middle of the pandemic when we were, you know, doing this. So just learning as much as we could about people's lives and their departments. And it was, it was kind of jointly that education for us and, just evaluating how would we construct this as a film? What kinds of stories do we want to include? We knew we wanted to have this broad range of geography across the country, of ages, of, you know, different backgrounds, different types of stories. Um, So we just started kind of, you know, filling out a grid essentially of different types of stories and trying to get the right balance. Um, So it was kind of that left-brain approach on the one hand of just this logical how do we create a balanced cast of characters, but a lot of it was also just, you know, our reactions to these people that we were meeting and what did we find compelling and these kind of relationships that we were starting to build with them um, and who was who was really enthusiastic and willing to be vulnerable and share their stories, which was uh, thankfully a lot of people. So we did have a lot to choose from. It was very <laughs> difficult, but, um, but we were lucky uh, to have a really amazing cast of characters in the end.
0: Well, I think the cast of characters that you came up with. Is fantastic. Um, I mean, absolutely, a, a segment that there's no way you could not have included uh, is the Muncie Fire Department from Muncie, New York, and Yitzhak <laughs> Grunwald. You know, a Hasidic Jewish man, and he it fa- was so desperate to be a firefighter and to help and give back that even adhering to his faith, figured out how he could. Still be a firefighter without having to tr- cut his beard or his hair. Um, just amazing, and the fact that the Muncie Fire Department was willing to make an allowance and figure out how he could participate. I mean, that whole story is phenomenal. But you can you hear the passion in Yitzi's voice about you know wanting to be a firefighter and the help that he can give. And that just absolutely is standout. But you guys and Cameron cutting this film to start this off with Jenna Dunbar who watched, you know, her entire community burn down. Absolutely. Um, I mean, she escaped burning up herself by just mere minutes. Um, that really really you hit us a a gut punch kicking the film off guys a gut punch Mm -hmm. and anybody that is not drawn in at that moment has no heart has no soul (laughs) um
3: yeah there were definitely stories like cam said we had a this you know we wanted a lot of different people to see themselves in this film whether that was the part of the country they were in or their their background you know um, you know, their motivations for what different what people did, but there were some stories that were just like that came in and was like the Muncie story that was like, Oh, we're definitely doing that. story." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too good of a story, you know? And, you know, I think the little fort we have a large animal rescue story was another one like that. Jenna's story was another one where they just touched the story, was so solid that we didn't really have to too much about it. Um, you know, other than just making sure that people were on board with participating and, you know, really sharing the story, um, But those, yeah, that Muncie was a definitely a favorite, um, and Jenna, for that
0: matter. Well, and of course, Little Fork. I love Little Fork because of the fact when you're doing the interviews, um, it might have been Melissa you were speaking, Melissa Mainville, who was talking about the large animal rescue and how they get called out to other areas because they do specialize in that. And this is something else that the average person doesn't realize is that because of the very nature of the communities that these volunteer fire departments are servicing, they do become specialized in certain things. I never thought I would be watching a film on volunteer firefighters and see a cow get rescued out of a swimming pool. Um, I've seen a horse get pulled out of a ditch on you know, emergency by Roy DeSoto and Johnny Gage, but I have not seen a cow get airlifted out of a swimming pool with a hoist <laughs> on a fire truck. Um, it, it <laughs> You've got an embarrassment of riches here, guys. <laughs> what can I Absolutely. say?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that was the cool thing to learn about was just that, that range. And the fact that, like you said, it's the nature of the service because it's community based. It, it's, people in the community helping each other that there's this flexibility and adaptability you know the people you're going to help so you come up with these creative ways to help them because you know that it's it's your community and that was something that a lot of volunteers were just really proud of was that fact that you know they were doing this because they care and because they know their community and they know these they know the people and sometimes it's strangers and they're very proud of that too but the fact that you know if in some of these rural areas, if they were to have a paid department, it would be, you know, very basic services because that would be all they could afford. You wouldn't have that kind of creativity. And, and, you know, some places it's large animals, some places it's hurricanes and flooding and rescues for, you know, swift water. And some places it's rock slides and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things. And, and it really, it was just this, You know, neighbors helping each other. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, if you look at the Exeter story,
3: you know, which was a small... I was just thinking of that one.
0: Just thinking of that one.
3: Yeah, because, you know, so for that story, you know, 500 people, little town, you know, out really in the middle of, you know, Nebraska. There's like, you know, you go in any direction for miles and it's just cornfields and nothing there. And, you know, they only get 43 calls a year. But, you know, there are 43 really important calls, you know, opposed to maybe some of the more metropolitan places that we did in Wheaton where they get 10,000 calls a year. But, you know, the point is the fact that those calls and these farm accidents are, are, you know, really dangerous, nasty stuff is happening. And if you can't get somebody, you know, there in 10, 15 minutes, you know, it's life or death, you know. And I think that so it's not always about the size, the number of calls, or whatever. It's just that each, each community has its own needs, and, and like I say, these, these departments are, you know, really critical for them to, to survive as a community.
0: Well, and I love the fact that we we also get in the farmland the fact that farmers actually have volunteered. They're not firefighters, but they have volunteered that when there is a, a crop fire, they will come and they will bring their tractors, and they will start doing fire breaks in fields, in fields of of various crops to stop the fire from spreading and destroying whole ranches and moving on to the next one and the next one. And that speaks volumes as to the community nature of these these volunteer firefighting communities.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I think that was something that I think we really wanted to come through in the film was you know, some of those farmers, they're not necessarily firefighters. There are plenty of them who are firefighters and, you know, volunteer at the department too. But just that sense of neighborliness and communities helping themselves and helping each other is so, whether it's through a volunteer fire department or not, like that's something that there is, you know, there's the American individualism that of course is a real part of our legacy, but there's also this real community spirit that is, A part of our our country too and people helping each other and just because it's the right thing to do and and you know weaving those bonds between people and so we hope that it's you know an inspiring film in that sense too
0: i i think it is and talk about inspiring you guys were smart enough it's like you don't just wake up one day and you're a volunteer firefighter you do need some training so (laughs) for that you take us to washington state fire training academy in north bend washington and we get to see these recruits um, on their weekend 12-weekend week training uh, <laughs> course. Boy, I thought some of them, I thought they wanted to die. They were going to drop from exhaustion <laughs> at the start of it. But we really get a sense of what these volunteer firefighters go through to become volunteer firefighters.
3: Yeah. It was a good, uh, I mean... That story, you know, every story had a purpose that we picked. You know, even, you know, if we go back to the Muncie one for a second, it was really, I mean, it was a Jitsi story. It was the department story. But it was about a department who needed to look beyond their normal base to, like, to help, you know, deal with their recruiting issues. And we thought mm-hmm. that was could be been in any community around the country to be looking to other communities who might not necessarily feel welcome. You know, um, we thought it was a representative story, even though it was a unique story with the Hasidic-Jewish, you know, kind of backdrop of, to the story. Uh, on the, the, the Washington State story, I think one of the things that was important on that is that I think there's a perception maybe that, you know, volunteer firefighters aren't as well-trained as career firefighters um, which is really not the case in in most it's, it's different in every state what the what the requirements are, but in most states now, like the requirements are the same for a career firefighter as a volunteer firefighter mm-hmm. and, you know I think you know when you're upside down in a car you know on the side of the road and that fire truck shows up and you know that firefighter's there, the person's there to rescue you, you know, you're not wondering whether they're volunteer or career, you're just really grateful that someone's there to help you. Um, And you know, I think that was—I think you see it in the very, not to give it away, the last scene of the movie, the kind of the professionalism and the, you know, that they're, you know, the, the dedication and the time that these people put in and putting themselves in, you know, extremely, you know, dangerous and you know, traumatic situations, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not getting paid for it is pretty incredible.
0: Well, and something else, uh, you know, talking about Yitzi and also bringing in Madely Cruz Perez. Something very important about both of them. With Yitzi, he, you know, he speaks Yiddish. He's he's Hebrew. He is, and it's a big Hasidic community there, so that for elders and whatnot, they may not be able to speak enough English, and he can converse with them and calm them and help them and get information from them, speaking to them in a language they're more familiar with. Same with Madely. Um, speaking with any, you know, Spanish-speaking the Latino community, uh, she is from El Salvador, so that's another added benefit here when you open up, you know, the walls to bring in more people as volunteer firefighters, and I thought that was a nice little sub subtext to what you're showing us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's seeing that diversity in our communities as an asset, right? I mean, the the fire department's always talked about, you know, whether it's language skills, whether it's other skills that people bring because of, you know, the wide range of day jobs that people have that they're bringing into this. You know, it's great to have electricians on fire departments because they know how <laughs> those <laughs> systems work in a burning building. They know what you need to get to to stop an electrical fire. You know, those kinds of things that everyone brings to the table. And that, that, as you said, like that language component, that, uh, you know, racial and ethnic background that people bring to it is an asset, and and all those communities, of course, deserve those services delivered in a way that makes sense for them, and it's the only way to do it.
0: Now, a big question for uh, I'm I'm guessing Cameron, this is going to be a, a big one for you with editing. Is what yes. was the editing process here to find your through line? And to cull through all of your footage because you've got, (laughs) you know, interview footage, you have on-scene footage, you have rescuing cow footage, you have (laughs) ambulance issues, major traffic accidents. You have so much footage. Where do you even start to cut this?
2: (laughs) Great question. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was something it was. I think between 40 and 50 interviews and around 300 hours of footage total, I think. Um, so it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. Um, and really, I mean, you know, it was a lot of experimentation. It was a lot of just trying different things. There was no sort of magic wand. I think that the one thing that we tried to stay true to is just what our experience had been of these different communities and people and kind of really getting into the essence of what was compelling to us, what had been surprising to us, what was funny to us. You know, we wanted people to have that experience of meeting firefighters and spending time with firefighters and realizing this is who firefighters are in the country, volunteer firefighters. Um and so really just trying to include all those things that you know the actually going to fight fires was not a huge part of it. You know, one out of thirty calls at most is, is a fire. So it was all the time hanging out in the stations, the things that people do outside of the firehouse um, and really just, you know, trying to stay true to that experience that we'd have of what are the things that make up the life of a volunteer firefighter and how can people get to know these people better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there was nothing, there's a lot on the cutting room floor, that's for sure. Uh, Um, Lots of great scenes um, that we couldn't include, but we really wanted to include that just wide range and really make it this kind of trip across the country. And even those little, you know, pieces of each, um, to just kind of bring it together hopefully in a coherent way.
0: So how, yeah. ma- how I, many... the only thing I would
2: add to that
3: is it was just that initially we had these kind of higher level conversations around some of the themes that we wanted to like highlight. So women in the fire service or that the training issue that we spoke about or you know, opening up to your communities, the things that we were talking about. And we had conversations with chiefs and some different people around that and then at a certain point, we just realized, you know, we don't really need to like hit people over the head with this. Like, we just need to, like, there's five or a ton of badass women in this film. Like, we don't need to talk oh, yeah. about women in there. We'll just show it. So we, I think that I think that was kind of like a key turning point in the edit. Was like just show, don't tell, whatever we could, and that there was enough, you know, examples of the ideas that we wanted to get across without having to like, you know, talk, you know, like talk about it we just could just show it you know and that was was a breakthrough for
0: us yeah you show numerous scenes um and you're not interviewing you're just showing and we see the number of women that are there as part of the brigade that came to the rescue or the accident um yeah you don't need to say anything it's like picture speaks a thousand words this one these spoke more like 10,000 Um, so that was very effective and a smart move. You know, how many months did you spend in editing on this one?
2: Um, it was about a year of editing, um, better part of a year. Definitely. Yeah. So it was was kind of a two year process in total for the film. So, you know, just maybe six months or so pre-production, a few months of production on and off and then editing. Yeah. For pretty much a year.
0: Wow. Did you do any editing at all as you were? collecting your footage and doing interviews or did you wait until you had all of it and then dove in headfirst?
2: Very, very little before we were done. It was a pretty intensive production process where we were traveling across the country visiting all these places. So there wasn't much time to do that. Um, I always like to do that if I get the chance. But in this case, um, yeah, it was 99% was done after we got home and just started processing everything that we had Taken in and, and seen, and and then yeah, I embarked on the edit.
0: So now here we are. Everybody can see this come tomorrow on VOD and digital. And dare I say, they should also make this a double feature with a phenomenal documentary that you guys may have seen, Elemental: Reimagine Wildfire about how wildfires happen so they can get they can get a full bore here with fires firefighters and fire um as as this is about ready to come out and i know that john deere has been behind this film what have each of you learned in the process of making this film gary you come out of um still photography commercial photography um and cam um you've done Tons of things uh, with neuroscience, seriously, <laughs> and this is what you do: I neuro dabbled. Dabbled. Neuros- neuroscience to film. Um, so, you know, what did you guys learn about yourselves as filmmakers and storytellers with this documentary? Because with what each of you has done in the past, that is storytelling. I mean, Gary, ph- commercial photography, it is. That tells a story. Photojournalism tells a story. Um, And Cam, you definitely have done storytelling, um, especially with the work that you did with um, youth in Massachusetts uh, and your documentary, The Vow. So what did each of you learn about yourselves as filmmakers and storytellers that you can take forward into your next projects and to further... You know, the company of Vignette along?
3: Well, it's a great question. So we've been so we've been you know, Vignette's been around for twelve years. Cam and I have been working together for, for eight years. And we've done a lot of a lot of little films. You know, a lot of, you know I think a lot of our projects kind of are in the two to fifteen minute range. So, you know, we've spent years kind of developing our skills and, you know, uh, you know, both just as individually as filmmakers cam as an editor uh, both of us shot on the film and just kind of us being able to shoot in tandem and how we cover a story um but i think being able to take that into a, a feature film which mm-hmm. we've never you know done by far i think maybe our 20 minutes was maybe our longest piece before um so that was it was a huge learning curve i think you know and and kudos again to cameron on the edit because that was that was the heaviest lift i mean shooting the stories we've you know, we've shot a lot of stories and I felt like we had a pretty good handle on that. And I thought we did a pretty good job on the pre-production, but the, the post-production was, was a, the, the real least I think on this project. And Cam uh, was, was amazing on that. Um, I think the other thing was just um, personally, one of the things we've loved about the film, and we didn't necessarily go into it thinking this, but um, you know, it's, I thought it was impossible to do a film in America today that's not somehow polarizing or decisive um, you know or you know you're gonna get into some kind of argument with somebody about it. and somehow this film just rises above all of that and I think maybe that's one of the things we're the most proud of of the film is that it's this film that can really bring people together um, and you know I'm really proud of the fact that we just kind of went all over the country and did these stories and you know really we never devolved into any type of political or you know, other discussion other than, you know, people just helping their neighbors and helping their, um, you know, helping just, just volunteering their time and, you know, and, and doing doing what's right. And that was, um,
2: you know, very satisfying, I think, to have a film that does that. Yeah, I think I would, I mean, like you're saying, Gary, thanks thanks for saying that about the edit. I mean, that was, it was the biggest hurdle in many ways and where I think I learned the most about uh, filmmaking was not so much in the how do you do the storytelling part, but just the, it was a marathon. It was a a long process, shorter than a lot of documentaries. I mean, there are documentaries that take 10 years to make or more, um, but still the, just the uh, figuring out the right mindset to have with a project like this of staying connected to why you're doing it, and the goals of the project. And, I mean, with this one, we have these impact goals in mind. And I was uh, i actually editing the, the film, like, on a fairly major road with fire trucks that go by, like, several <laughs> times a day with their <laughs> sirens going. So I had these daily reminders of, like, why I was doing this and the urgency of it, um, which was great. But I think, you know, it, it was figuring out how to how to stay connected to that over the long haul of, of editing a project like this and, you know, just being inspired by the goals of the film. I think it's the kind of project that I love to do where there's, it's, you know, it's very intimate and personal and there are these kind of individual stories and stakes with these people who we got to know and, you know, Mm -hmm. became very close to, but then it also, you know, it it really does speak to these large, really large themes um, in our country and, and hopefully with these impact goals. So I think, you know, I just know that I want to keep doing more stories like that, where they kind of have that combination of just sort of undeniable drama on the ground, um, but hopefully with the possibility to make people think a little differently or do something a little differently in their lives.
0: Well, and for anybody that wants more information on Odd Hours, No Pay, Cool Hat, or how to become a volunteer firefighter in their community, they can go to oddhoursfilm.com. I mean, it's a wonderful website you guys have on the film, and people can click on volunteer, and that'll direct you uh, in terms of for volunteer firefighting if you're in a community that that needs that. Um, And I thought that was really cool. Uh, to have that. One thing i really?
3: add to have that just really quickly is the, the, the volunteering, and the, the, I think it's something that comes through the film, but we always talk about it, is that the departments don't just need volunteer firefighters. They need all kinds of volunteers. Yes. So it could be, you know, um, PR help. It could be, you know, um, I've got some blanking now and everything. but there's there's support. The, you know, Fundraising. You know, the cooks. <laughs> yeah, cooks. <laughs> cooks. You know, all these different types of things that these departments need so don't feel like you need to be the you know person that's going to go in and knock down the door and run into a burning house and save you know the puppy uh there's lots of ways you can help your volunteer fire department and volunteer
0: ah oh, guys i can't thank you enough i love this documentary and uh, it's such an eye-opener for people that have no clue about the volunteer firefighters in america in the united states just so well done. Um, are you working on anything else right now, or do I have to wait another few years for something?
3: Uh, hopefully not a few years, but yeah, <laughs> I've got a couple. Nothing ready to quite talk about yet, but we definitely have some 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 things. Irons in the fire for sure. But we definitely, I mean, I think we've got a taste of doing, you know, this larger, you know, longer form work, and um, I think we, you know, feel like we've kind of it's the direction we've been trying to head as a as a company and uh you know i think we're excited to to do more work like that
0: well i'm excited to see what you guys bring us again in the future i really am thank you so much i love your thank filmmaking you. voice i love this documentary and if this is your calling card boy oh boy we got a lot to look forward to
2: thank you so much Thanks thanks very much. Pleasure to talk to you.
0: Gary, Cameron, thank you so much. And you have a great opening day tomorrow. Thanks, Evan. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And that was Gary Matoso, Cameron Zahuri. Odd Hours, No Pay, Cool Hat. That is all the time we have today. Tomorrow, August at 22, digital and VOD. Odd Hours, No Pay, Cool Hat. Tomorrow, digital and VOD, and all week, it is Shark Week. You knew I had to mention Shark Week. And if you're watching on the, face, on the Adrenaline Radio Facebook page right now, you can see I brought some of my very precious old sharks with us to set today. Um, and... If you're looking for some shark movies outside of the typical The Jaws 1 through 5 or 100, whatever it is now, um, you've got Cocaine Shark is out now on digital. Jurassic shark, shark 3 Seavenge is out now. And don't forget one of my favorites this year so far, shark movies, Sharkula. Um, just, it's shark heaven this week. So when you're Barbied out, Oppenheimer'd out, check out some fires. Check out what it is to be 22 again.